Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with seasoned professional and keynote speaker Summer Jelinek. She is more than just a keynote speaker. She's a seasoned professional with a knack for transforming organizational chaos into a well-orchestrated symphony. As a professional speaker and trainer, she spent over two decades honing her leadership skills, notably at Walt Disney World, the Disney Institute, HEB, Central Market, and even a ski resort. Her true passion lies in connecting with global audiences, particularly those in intrigued by the nuanced art of leadership. We cover a lot of ground here. Enjoy this interview. Well, hey, it's so nice to meet you. I love your story and I want to get into your work, um, you know, with Disney and everything else that you've done. But before that, we're coming up on the four-year anniversary of this pandemic. How did you survive the pandemic and how did it consequently change you? Yeah, that's a big question. You're just coming right out of the game. Right. Yeah. Questions. I mean, this is a, this is a horse race. We're just shooting out. <laughs> Um, so I started my speaking business in 2019, right before the pandemic. And everybody was saying like, it's a lot like pushing, pushing a boulder uphill. You're just waiting until that boulder like comes on the other side and you get momentum in your business and you start going. So I was working 50 plus hours a week at my job, working in the grocery industry and then started getting momentum with my business. I was like, all right, this is amazing. I did a keynote in February, 2020, where somebody from Office Depot was in the audience and they came up and they're like, we want you to keynote for our 3,500 member leadership conference coming up. And I'm like, I have made it. This is amazing. And so we're going through all of the conversations. Contracts have not been signed yet. And then the pandemic hits. And so it was a double whammy for the speaking business because it just destroyed my business. And I'm working in the grocery industry, which if you remember lines wrapped around the block, we didn't have product. Are we doing masks? Are we not doing masks? It was a very crazy time. Um, I will say that the pandemic was good for my speaking business because I'm technologically inclined. And so I was able to make that switch into virtual and it set me apart very quickly. So it was really good for that. It was really hard being on the front lines with everything that had happened. Um, And I found that like most people, I came out of it being a lot clearer as what my priorities are and what I wanted to do, which helped build this business to be able to deliver into my personal purpose, which is reducing the impacts of toxic leadership in the workplace. But also before then I'd been a severe workaholic and now I'm working towards my passion. So I work a lot, but it's also finding the balance that works for me and my family, not traditional 50, 50 balance, because that's a myth, but the balance that works for me and my family. So I hope we never have to do it again, but there is a part of me that is thankful that we were able to take the lessons and come out stronger as a family and as a business. That's so intense in February to get that offer because everything just melted away. It did. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I was looking at my husband going, what? Yeah. Just everything (laughs) went away. You know, I remember, and we talked before we started here officially, you know, coming out of Kansas city, that was the first time that the chiefs won in 50 years. Mm-hmm. And I, my dad wasn't around at the time, but he used to, we, cause there was a lot of dark s- decades that we went through and he always, everybody would joke that if we finally win the Super Bowl, the world's going to come to an end. And that parade was in February. And right after that lights out. <laughs> so so what you're saying out. then is it's y'all's fault. It's our fault. <laughs> the Chiefs should not have won. We wouldn't have gone through it. 
<laughs> so it, it's wild, but it's weird how everything just really melted away and how things just transformed and even with your story there. But let's get to the heart and soul of what you do do on a daily basis right now. I'm going to put you in front of a bunch of third graders. It's career day. And one of the kids says, hey, what do you do for a living? How do you answer that child? I help your mommy and daddy have a better experience when they go to work. So what did you want to be when you were in the third grade? What did I want to be when I was actually, I wanted to be a Marine biologist. Okay. Uh, but growing up in Louisiana, I developed a healthy fear of water. And so that kind of limited the Marine biologist aspect. And I'm not meant to be a scientist. So, but, but yeah, that was what I wanted. So in that swampy water, you got the crocs, you got the snakes I mean, there's there's stuff happening that, that could be lethal, right? A lot of stuff that's happening that can be lethal, yes. And I have, so a good old Southern grandma who decided that the best way for us to learn about water safety was to show us the most extreme example possible. Do you remember the old TV show, Dallas? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they had a scene where I don't know if you, we're getting way off topic, but it's fine. Yeah. So water moccasins, when they mate, they mate in a giant ball. So it's like a giant Satan ball. Yeah. Water, right? Yeah, yeah. And they had a scene in Dallas where a kid jumped off of a bridge into one of these balls. And so my grandmother showed us that scene. And that is where I remember thinking, yeah, I don't think I want to be a marine biologist Oh my anymore. God. What a horrible <laughs> extreme case. That poor kid. I know. Yes. Oh, yeah. No. Was... <laughs> so, so are, were, were you born and raised in, in New Orleans? No, I was born and raised in central Louisiana. So the okay. Alexandria area. Okay. I gotcha. All right. So how did these seeds of entrepreneur and, and being a go-getter and, and helping people, how did all of this kind of grow into you? I had a lot of extraordinary leaders that really helped me figure out who do I want to be when I grow up? What does that look like? Because I don't fit, especially in the 80s and 90s, I did not fit the stereotypical female. Like I did not want to have kids. I wasn't sure if I wanted to get married. I wanted to take over the world. And so it really took a lot of strong leaders that helped focus that. And then everything was going extraordinarily well. I had a couple of bad leaders, but nothing drastic. And then uh, I had a toxic leader and that leader changed everything because I knew the power that leaders have to really help their employees, not only grow where they're at, but like help them see where they can get to in the future. And this this magic that happens when the leaders have that, the tools and the resources to do that. And then I saw what happened in 10 months with one toxic leader. Mm. And so that became, that started the awakening of my purpose of helping leaders, you know, because a lot of times, like, I don't like to say toxic leaders because nobody wakes up and decides that they want to be toxic. But it, it's these small behaviors that we think leadership should be um, just like understood. We wake up and we can do it. But there's a lot of things that goes against the way our brains work in leadership that we have to be very intentional and consistent to overcome so that we can be that effective, powerful leader yeah. um, without hurting people along the way. You know, it is amazing the older I get 
the example that you will learn from someone that that's really good is just as profound as you can learn from someone that's really bad because mm -hmm. you can steer clear of what you know is wrong and <laughs> you know veer towards what's right it's crazy you know yes. um so speaking of the good ones out there who's been a hero or a role model for you oh there's so many there's so many but i would probably say and i mentioned them um in the book so Michelle Mirsch, who she's going to completely destroy me when she knows that I put her name out on a podcast, <laughs> but she was a leader that took a chance on me when I was brand new at Disney. I was trying to understand what does a Disney manager look like? She gave me a temporary position and I'll never forget because I really wanted to do an amazing job. Like I did not want to let her down. I felt that in my bones, but I also knew I was not doing an amazing job. And have you ever had that experience where you know you're not doing a good job, but you're trying really, really hard to do it and you don't know how to fix it? Mm -hmm. That's kind of where I was. And I was definitely circling and it was a hot mess. And she brought me in her office and she sat me down and she says, I don't really know what you're trying to do, but it's not working. Can I help? And I was like, yes, please help me. Yeah. And so we spent intentional, consistent time together every single week where she taught me what it meant not only to be a leader, but to be a leader at Disney, which was yeah. very different from everything that I had done before. And so she is absolutely my number one leadership hero. There's a whole bunch of other ones, but she's always the first one I think of because it's hard to have those conversations as a leader. And yeah. I think that's where exceptional leaders and average leaders differentiate is the exceptional leaders will have those conversations. And I think there's a perception by the civilian public that if you have an organization as big as Disney, that you just kind of step into it, everything just happens and magically is good. You don't really have to try. You know, people just think that when you have a big company, they're a big company for a reason, but you still have to work your ass off. You still have you to do. put, you have to put in the, the good mileage and you have to be conscientious. And there's a reason why people stay on top. I mean, even looking at that documentary on Michael Jordan, I mean, he consistently had always, I mean, all of these people that are doing high level things like athletics, you have to consistently always do it. I mean, he, I think even Patrick Mahomes, like a week after the parade, he's mm -hmm. like got something up about training. You know, it's like, dude, go to the beach, man, go hang out <laughs> for a while. Just you, you did it. You're fine. But it's that idea. When that's when we think about exceptional, the one thing that all exceptional people have is they are consistent and intentional. And if you can take those two pieces. All right. See, you said the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my laptop just got super excited. Yes, so when they are consistent and intentional, they know where they're going. They know what steps they have to take and they're open to feedback. It it's this amazing thing that happens where they get where they're trying to go. Yeah. So if you can meet one person alive on the planet right now that you find fascinating, who would it be? Uh, Bob Iger. Okay. And so Bob Iger is the CEO of the Walt Disney Company. Uh -huh. And he put out a book that it was an amazing book. He started from nothing, worked his way up. And I'd really, I just want to know, like going from, you know, he brought in Marvel, he brought in Pixar, he did all of these amazing things. And then he'd left. And then we had a pandemic. And then he came back. So really talking about what was the difference between leading pre-pandemic and post-pandemic 
Yeah. And as a leader of hundreds of thousands of people, like what were some of the adjustments that he had to make to be able, because Disney took a hit during the pandemic in a big way. I'm sure you remember hearing it on the news. And so, you know, when your company is on fire as a leader, what do you do? Yeah, for sure. So let me ask you this. What is your motivation every day to wake up, to do the work that you do, to help people, to transform lives and to evolve as a person yourself? I think the evolving as a person is just an understood in my family. Like my parents are my superheroes. They came from pretty brutal backgrounds. My dad quit drinking when I was in first grade. I remember going to AA meetings with them. And I can remember there's this vivid memory where my dad brings my brother and I through the Burger King drive through We get a tiny milkshake. My mom is working there. And then he drops me off at my grandmother's where he goes to deliver pizzas for Domino's. And then when my parents retired, my mom retired as a registered nurse and my dad retired as a director of a drug and alcohol abuse treatment center. And so like that, seeing that growth with them, there was never this concept of impossible in my family. It's if you want it hard enough, you can get it. And so that's always been my motivation is seeing this real life example of people who wanted it hard enough. And then the piece for the business and what I do is I have experienced that magic of leadership. And when I talk about magic, a lot of times people think like, you know, I'm talking about like a rabbit out of a hat, but there's this amazing thing that happens when you meet somebody And that person, whether they are there for a moment or whether they are there for the rest of your life, does this one thing that completely changes the trajectory that you're on. And as leaders, like we have that power and we don't realize and recognize it that just one right word at a time, at a moment in time will completely change somebody's life. Yeah. And I think that is so cool. And so I want to be a part of that and help more people do it to give back from all the people that did it for me. It's the opposite. It's the antithesis of what you said before, trying to do something and you just can't do it. You know, it's it's the complete opposite. It's like all the cylinders are clicking. That makes sense. You yeah. know? So speaking of the magic words, what's been the best advice you've ever gotten? <laughs> when I was going through that toxic leader experience, I happened to be going for my MBA at the same time. And one of my professors, Dr. Bach, she's like five foot nothing and absolutely fierce. If she told me to jump, I would say, how high? And every time I would see her for class, I would come in and tell her what this horrible leader was doing. And she would always ask me, what is your role in this situation? And the thing that she was doing, it wasn't so much advice as she was teaching me not to give away my power. Yeah. And when we get in difficult situations, that's generally the first thing we want to do. We want to give away the faults. We want to give away the blame. We want to give away the responsibility. It is not our fault. We are the absolute victim. And when we can remember that we are not the victim, this is happening, whether for a reason or not, we can create a reason out of it. And we hold on to our power. That's when we stop just bouncing around on the whims of life and we start creating a life that we can be proud of. Yeah. So of all of the clients that you've had, what's been one of your favorite client success stories? Um, I was coaching a leader and they were struggling with one of their 
frontline managers. Their manager had extensive management experience, but they were just, it was one of those that it wasn't the right fit yet. The leader was frustrated and very much the I'm the victim. So why is this person doing this? They're just doing it to irritate me. And we did um, an exercise where we went through and looked at um, high level needs, but it was a it was a basic personality assessment and help that leader begin to understand that that person wasn't doing anything to irritate them. That person had needs that weren't being met because they weren't the same needs of the leader. And so one of the things I say is we never think about what we've never had to think about. If it is not a need of mine, I'm not going to consider it for other people unless I'm being intentional. And so as soon as this leader stopped thinking from only her perspective and started considering the perspective of her manager, the entire relationship changed and it became, it wasn't combative. They were working as a partnership. Trust was slowly built again over time and watching both that leader get back all of the resources that they were pouring into the drama with this manager and watching the manager flourish was absolutely amazing. So let's say you have a dream tonight. You run into the 20-year-old version of you and you could give that young version of you a piece of advice based on the wisdom you've gained in your life up to this point. What advice would you impart on that young version of you? It gets better. Just hold on. It gets better. Yeah. Yeah. So... What do you miss the most about Louisiana? And what do you like the best about Dallas? I miss the food. Because Louisiana food, there's nothing like it. I love living in the metropolis that is Dallas. So having amazing theaters and shows that come in. And we live on the outskirts of Dallas. So we actually have the quiet, small country, like the cows live next to us. That's very cool. But 45 minutes away, we can get much anything that we want and growing up in the middle of nowhere so the town sheriff was my bus driver when i tell you it was the middle of nowhere um and having access to all of these things as well as two great airports that allow me to travel anywhere pretty quickly yeah um, it's pretty nice yeah for sure so of all the things that you've done become achieved and overcome in your life what are you the proudest of I'm the proudest of the life that I'm helping my daughter create. So my daughter is eight. Yeah. Um, We call her the best decision we never had. So my husband and I, when we got married, we're like, we don't want kids. And the universe was like, ha ha, you're pregnant. And I was like, well, shoot, that didn't quite work out as anticipated. Yeah. And watching her grow, I understand why she was put in our life. Yeah. And so helping Emotional intelligence is not my thing. Um, I'm actually on the autism autism spectrum as well. Discovered this in the past couple of years because it shows up different in women than it does in men. And so emotional intelligence, I think that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about this is because it wasn't easy for me. And helping my daughter. And the first time she told me, mom, I need a minute. You're frustrating me. I was both like, excuse me, but also very proud. Yeah. So taking all of these tools and resources and helping the next generation do better than we did. You know, I'm, I'm always fascinated by the adult diagnosis of that. Cause my son's 19 and he's been, he's on the spectrum and I've been involved his whole life with therapies and IEPs and being involved in the special needs community. How did that happen? What, how, I mean, if you don't mind talking about it a little bit, how did you think about it? How did it get broached? How did it happen? Um, TikTok actually, which I think that's where a lot of the information is coming from. Yeah. And I, 
I'm always interested in the way people think because yeah. I understood I thought I think differently. And there was this information coming out about how autism shows up in girls and it shows up in high achievement, anxiety, uh, people pleasing, all of these things that made me extraordinary at my job. But until I was able to handle them, they drove me instead of being able to use it as a superpower. Because I don't think like anxiety, autism, I think when it's properly managed, it truly is a superpower. It can help us be better and dive into these amazing things. Yeah. But when it's not being managed, it drives us and not necessarily in the healthiest of ways. So I had a conversation with my doctor and it was harder than I expected because of the field that I'm in, the industry that I'm in. Everybody's like, you're super charming. But there was always this imposter syndrome, I guess, because I knew what people saw was what I had been trained to do over a long period of time. Yeah. Like one of my common jokes is that Disney beat the nice into me. <laughs> it's not actually a joke. It was hard yeah. for a while. Yeah. And getting the diagnosis really helped to bridge the gap between who I was and who I am and get rid of that imposter syndrome because yeah. it's just like any tool when we have it and we use it and we're effective with it, it makes our life easier. Yeah. But before I understood the diagnosis, I always felt like I was just kind of faking it. And one day somebody would figure it out. Yeah. So yeah, it was, uh, it's just been, I got the diagnosis maybe 18 months ago. So it's okay. still new. Yeah. It's, and it's, Autism in its classic sense is predominantly in males and even on the spectrum. It the the female percentage is relatively low compared to how many there are in the male. Because when Miles was born, I think it was like one in like five hundred, something like that, like that's on the spectrum or has it has mm -hmm. classic autism. And now it's like one in like thirty-two or mm -hmm. something. It's very, very, very low. So it's well, and I love the name my husband's name is Miles too. Oh, it really? Yeah. yeah. After so, is he named after Miles Davis? He is not. No, it's just a name that his parents love. But when I first met him, for the longest time, I thought it was named after Miles Davis. Yeah, that's that's how that's why I named Miles what he is. So yeah, cool, very cool. Um, so let me ask you this: Everyone out there has a perception of you, family, friends, clients, but you run the show. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but bleep it if it needs to. I'm a total that's badass. <laughs> no, no, that's that's safe for network TV. We're fine. Okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing that it's. I had a cast member way back then, way back when, and she described her mom as a Babs, a badass B. And so I always liked that description and immediately yeah. clung to it. And so now in my business, it's that's who I am as a mom. That's who I am as a wife. That's who I am in my business. What you see is what you get. It's. I'm a total badass. Very nice. So Summer, if anyone wants to hire you, learn more about you, reach out. How do they do it? The good business. So they can go to summerjelinek.com. Summer, just like the season, Jelinek, J-E-L-I-N-E-K.com. Um, if they want, as a special gift for all of your listeners, they can also go to unlockingthemagicofleadership.com slash M-Y-F. And they get the first section, the manager self first section, which is my favorite. It's all about emotional intelligence of the brand new book. It came out last week. So a special gift for all of them. It is, in my opinion, the best three chapters and the most impactful three chapters. So they can go there to download that. 
Excellent. Well, I got to say, my favorite season is summer, so I love your name. Thank you, Summer, for your story. Thank you for your time. Best of luck with the book and everything else. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I've had a wonderful time talking with you today. Me too. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. Our esteemed theme music was composed and produced by the great E.E. E. Pointer of Kansas City's River Cow Orchestra. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. <laughs>